Blog Talk Radio. Tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time, that means it's time for an episode of Stunt Tracks with yours truly, Uncle Jim, and the one and only Leslie Hoffman. How you doing tonight, Leslie? Oh, I'm doing okay. <laughs> Wasn't sure if I was going to be here or not, but <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> That's good. That's good to hear. But even if you couldn't be here, we can do the show from anywhere, so that works out good for everybody. Um we're gonna. Yeah. We're not gonna be talking about Planet of the Apes tonight, actually, and uh, we're not even gonna be talking about Star Trek um, a Prime Directive, because Leslie texted me was it yesterday or Friday? Friday maybe. Oh, anyways, Leslie sent me a text and said that she had a friend who actually was a visual effects artist, and that. She asked him if he would be willing to come on the show and talk with us, and, of course, that was a great idea. So our phone number here is 646-668-2433, and if you have any questions for Matt Boardman, uh, please give us a call. Matt has worked on some really great stuff that I think you're going uh, to recognize. Uh, he's worked on Star Trek Discovery, and you know we're going to talk about that. A Star Trek Continues, Star Trek Renegades, one of my favorites, Battlestar Galactica, Blood and Chrome, uh, Defiance, which is a TV show I used to watch quite frequently, and, of course, The Orville. So uh, if you'd like to have any questions for Matt about any of those shows, please give us a call, 646-668-2433. And he is currently working on a, a movie, which I'm really quite excited about because I remember going to see the original uh, at the movie theaters way back in 1986. And I'm talking about Top Gun Maverick. And uh, he's worked on that as well. So we're definitely going to squeeze in for some information about that movie. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce Matt. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Well, you know, we're doing great. You know, trying to stay out of trouble. Doesn't always that, succeed. That's the, best, that's the best you can ask for, staying out of trouble. <laughs> So, you know, I'm looking here. Uh, I know Leslie said that uh, that she actually, she knows you. So how how did you and Leslie uh, meet each other, actually? 
Well, oh, I don't know how long ago that was now. Is it? It's probably been. Uh, it's been over ten years, so probably maybe twelve-ish. Um, well, that's what I was just thinking about that too. Is I don't know if we've known each other for fifteen years or or maybe not twenty, but but it's been a long time. Well, as I remember it, um, back in 2005, when they canceled Star Trek Enterprise, I had, you know, obviously that was uh, that was a little upsetting that they had canceled the series, and uh, I, I remember that was that was sort of a, a launching period of a lot of Star Trek fan films, and one of those groups was uh, the Star Trek New Voyages. Uh, a group, and uh, and I remember being on their forums on their website at the at the time, and seeing Leslie comment here and there, and I was like, oh, who is this person? So I clicked on her website, and I was like, oh, I have to help this this poor lady with this website, and so I <laughs> I reached out to her and just said, hey, I like to build websites in my spare time. You know, would you be interested? And and so that's that's kind of how that got started. And well, the, the other thing that I wanted to say is that a lot of people have dreams of going out to Los Angeles and pursuing a career, whether acting stunts, uh, visual effects, whatever, and... And, you know, you were working on the fan films, but deep inside you, you, you really wanted to come out to Los Angeles and, and you know, work on, work on how, how do I say, as opposed to a fan film, you wanted to work on professional films. And, right. and I remember that we used to have a lot of talks about, uh, that leap of faith, you know, come out and and the the worst is that that you know it doesn't happen. The best is that it does happen, and you came out and you followed your dreams. Yeah, it was. Well, I remember there was uh, there was what? Well, how many times? I think I came out once or twice, and and you let me stay with you and. And uh, took me around to some places, um, but I just remember coming out here for the time. And it's like I, I, there've been a few instances in my life where you know something you have something, you experience something, and you feel like that is what I was meant to do or where I was meant to be. And and the first time coming out here, I just had this feeling that it was like this is where I need to be. And so it's like, at that point it became, okay, what do I need to do um, to, to get out there? And, and at the time I wasn't sure, you know, the first couple of times I came out to visit, I, I just wasn't sure how that was going to happen. And then, um, you know, life has that way of, uh, of opening doors for you that you don't, uh, don't expect. And, and, and that led to me, uh, having an opportunity to come out here and work on a on a, on a production out here, and so it's uh, I've, I've been out here ever since. Now, Matt, what yeah. exactly for for the people that are listening? 
what exactly does a visual effects artist do on, say, a Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome or the Orville? What exactly uh, would your job entail? Oh, what don't we do? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's interesting because I, you know, I talk to people and and tell them I'm a visual effects artist, and they're like, "Well, what does that, what does that mean?" And it's like, how do I sum this up into into something short and concise so that people's eyes don't glaze over and they start to fall asleep while I'm explaining everything that we do? Um, it's it's a wide variety of things. I think for most people, what they would recognize is the big CG uh, scenes and movies, you know, more, more recently the Marvel movies or like Transformer movies or, you know, any Star Wars or anything like that, the, the, the spaceships and, um, and, and stuff like that. that. That's the most recognizable thing. I think when people think about a visual effects artist that they would, they would notice. Um, but we actually, beyond that, we do a lot of other things that people – that are in films that you may not know about. Like, for example, I did the first uh, first half of uh, the, the final season of Arrested Development on uh, Netflix, and I did a lot of what's called, they're called uh, invisible visual effects, where I um, actually combine scenes together to make it look like an actor was, you know, two scenes were filmed at the same, you know, performances of actors were filmed at the same time. And they, you know, the, for example, the editor liked the performance of one actor in one, one take of the scene. And then they liked everything else from a different take of the scene. And so I have to combine it together to make it look like it was filmed at the same time. Or sometimes you'll have, you know, a boom mic that drops down in or markers on the floor and stuff like that, that they, you know, things don't line up. And so they, they, uh, they, those have to be painted out. So that's, that's one of the other things that I, you know, visual effects artists can do. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a wide variety of things. Well, since Leslie and I usually end up talking about Star Trek, let's dive right into Star Trek. I noticed that, you worked on Star Trek Discovery, the Vulcan Hello, which was the pilot episode. Um, well, it's a two-part episode, but it was the pilot episode for Star Trek Discovery. And it says here that you were a renderer and a graphic artist on that. So what kind of, using that as an example, what kind of work did you do on that Star Trek Discovery episode? Well, um if you notice, it, it, it says I'm uncredited, and that's because, unfortunately, um, we were uh, we were part of an in-house visual effects team that eventually uh, decisions were made that they wanted to go to a more traditional uh, vendor route. So they uh, they unfortunately let us go. We we worked for about six months um, on that series. We we did a, uh, a trailer for Comic-Con, which was um, it, it, it was received with mixed reviews, but we also had uh, we only had three or not three, we didn't even have three. We had two weeks to work on this thing. Um, it was, we were asked to put together a trailer for Comic-Con and uh, 
today. <laughs> it's that unfortunately, two weeks was not uh, wasn't quite enough time to to do something that would be up to our our you know our I guess our professional standards the, the standards that we would have liked to. But uh, you know, needless to say, we did did that, and then. Um, we were in the process of putting together an office and, and uh, getting the, the ships and, and other things ready for, for the, the first episode there. And, and unfortunately, a, you know, a decision was made that they, uh, um, that they were going to go with, with different vendors. So, so thus ended my, my short experience on, on Discovery. But it was it was great though, oh, and I got to read some scripts and and see how you know, and it's it's interesting to see how things translated from the scripts that I read to to what actually ended up in the first season there. So in that particular episode, um, what kind of what kind of things were you working on in that episode before they went in a different direction? Well, I mean we hadn't really uh done anything up to that point other than you know build some starships we were doing tests um you know there were there were some things at one point and i think they've they've actually shown some of uh some of these things at uh i think this some of the star trek conventions but initially there was going to be a fully cg character uh on on the bridge you know one of the bridge crew um, he was going to be a, a tardigrade, which did show up in the series, just not in the, the uh, way that they originally envisioned him. Um, so we did some tests with that to see if that was possible. We, uh, I think they've also shown some concept art. I just have to make sure that I'm not saying anything that's not out, you know, that's outside of my NDA, which is still in effect. Um, but we had done some tests. Uh, Saru actually had uh, a, a different... Um, he had a different design initially, and so he was he was actually intended to have multiple eyes. And so, um, obviously, you know, Doug Jones, the fantastic and wonderful Doug Jones, who who plays that character, would have had to have worn this. Um, I don't know if they were going to have him wear a, a prosthetic piece that was the shape of his head, or if we would have been adding that. Um, we had some great character animators who. Uh, did some initial tests of this, but he initially was planned to have uh, six or seven eyes, six or eight eyes, um, and then you know the the two in the center would have been his his own eyes. But uh, then we would have, they would have had uh, CG eyes for the for the rest of his head, and so um, you know, and the, and it's all things they test out and just to see how practical that is to do, and and obviously things like that increase the budget, and so then they have to ask the question: Well, is this practical for us to uh, to do in terms of a, a, a you know our budget? Um, and ultimately, it was decided that that they would go in a different direction with the makeup, which you know I think uh, I think that the, uh, the the makeup that they landed on is fantastic because you get more of uh, Doug Jones. And his performance in there, that rather than than a CG performance. Well, I, I think that's just. I think that's exciting that you got to be there right from the beginning. Uh, you know, when it started, you got to see where where it started and what actually ended up on the screen. I think that's exciting. So let, let's move. Okay, so let's move into some other Star Trek projects. I see that you've worked on. These are these are what are referred to as fan. Films. I noticed that you worked on quite a few episodes 
of Star Trek continued um, here, um, and and Star Trek Renegades, um, Star Trek Captain Pike. These are all Star Trek fan films. It says, Captain Pike, you were a visual effects supervisor. Um, on Renegades, you, it says you were a visual effects artist, and uh, Star Trek Continuous also says you were a visual effects artist. So what kind of work did you do on, for the fan product project versus what you actually were doing for Discovery? Well, I mean, the fan films is kind of where I got my start. You know, that's, uh, I mean, back then, I think the first one that I actually worked on was of God's Men. And, uh, and, you know, it was very basic. I mean, I was just learning. I was just starting out. And, uh, and so, you know, some of the tasks that they would give me were, as simple as, hey, can you just render out, you know, put this on your machine and render it for us. Um, because, you know, we didn't, we didn't have access. You know, a lot of visual effects companies uh, have render farms. Now, now, that's, now they have companies who are actually dedicated to that, where they have machines that you can pay to use and have it render out your, your CG work. Um, but back then, that wasn't an option, and so it was just – us using our com- our home computers, and so we would try to spread that around as much as we could. And uh, you know, I got to do a, a couple animations here and there, CG animations um, for things like Star Trek Continues. I mean, I worked on every episode of that, and I it ranged from uh, well, I did I did all the the handheld phasers, and I did all of the transporter effects for for that series. Um, I, I had the opportunity to do a uh, CG shot in the final episode where we're, uh, you know, we, we, there's an establisher shot of San Francisco and I, you know, I had some shuttles coming through and everything. And, um, and then I'm trying to think of what else from that. Oh, I, I would say probably the, to me, the most impressive thing that, we were able to do is there is uh, an episode called the white iris. And uh, in that particular episode, they have Kirk um, on a holodeck and he's, he's kind of revisiting some of the, uh, the, the women from his past. And the, it was all shot entirely on green screen. And um, at the time, he had another artist that was supposed to have put together some of these these green screens for him, and 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 that artist just I think had other work obligations that prevented them from being able to do that. And so Vic uh, McNonia and I sat down in in a matter of you know, 48 hours, a couple days, and we we knocked out all these green screen shots um, in in that episode. So um, so you know it's it's. Again, it's it's a wide variety of things, anywhere from you know CG animation to compositing, you know, putting people in front of you know people who are filmed in front of green screens and uh, and putting backgrounds back behind there, doing doing little effects like the phasers and uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's kind of kind of been my experience. I did I did do some modeling, some uh, you know not not you know not like I would you know. 
walking down the runway modeling, but uh, some modeling of, of uh, starships and, and sets on, on some of these as well. So um, it's kind of funny to go back and look at that stuff compared to where I am now as to where I was back then. And I look back then and I'm like, oh, gosh, that's <laughs> it's a little embarrassing. But, you know, we all have to start somewhere, right? Well, I, personally, I think Star Trek Continues is a, is a fantastic uh, web series. Um, I think Vic and his crew did a really good job of capturing the feel of Star Trek, and I think they're very well done, actually. I mean, obviously, they're not Star Trek Discovery caliber, but they're really, really good. Yes, yes. So, well, you know, I, you that's know. the thing that I, that I really appreciate. Yeah, I really appreciate Star Trek Continues because – the the storytelling feels right in there with uh, with what you would expect from the original series of Star Trek. You know, they, a lot of those episodes were sort of a morality play um, and, and a, you know holding a spotlight to um, societal issues. And and I think that they captured that with a lot of their um, with their episodes. And but I mean, outside of that, you know, they also I mean, they were very um, they did a great job of capturing that aesthetic, you know, from the sets to how we uh, did the visual effects. You know, they, you know, things could look a little modern, but they still wanted it to be grounded in what it would look like, um, you know, with the abilities that they had back then. So, you know, just a little bit of a twist of the screw there on, on the visual effects, but at the same time, wanting to capture that feel of the original series uh, back in the 60s. Now, how closely did you work with Vic on Star Trek Continues, or were you at a computer studio somewhere else and he was somewhere else? How did how did that work? Oh, yeah, it was all done from home. Um, you know, oftentimes it was just, you know, Vic uh, calling me up on the phone saying, hey, I've got these shots that I – that I need your help with, or we've got a certain number of uh, transporter shots, and and you know the transporter shots, those are pretty standard fare. You know, it's it's a, you know a matter of of you know it's the same procedure and and the timing and everything like that of getting um, you know, the the effect that that uh, that washes over the character as they transport in and out. Um, so. But yeah, I mean, it was usually with with Vic. It was it was uh, it was a phone call, kind of setting things up, and then he would check in periodically to see where I was at with with things. Um, and then uh, that what the one particular episode, the White Iris, we actually were on a uh, a Skype call where I was sharing my my screen with him so that he could see exactly and, and give me real time feedback on what he was seeing and. And uh, and so that I mean that was that was a neat experience just because I mean we I can't even tell you the number of shots but it was it was quite a few shots I mean uh, that we we knocked out in in just a consider you know two days sounds like a lot of time but it, it in reality it, it it's a short amount of time uh, to do as many shots as we did. Um, so that that in and of itself was pretty impressive that we were we were able to do that. Um, I, you know, in talking with him on the final episode, you know, he would share a few things with me here and there, and 
and I had a couple of thoughts that uh, sort of made it into, you know, I, I think I think it was more or less, you know, I was kind of thinking along the same lines that he was, and I said, hey, wouldn't it be great if we had this musical cue here or there? But typically, you know, that as a visual effects artist, you don't quite have have that uh, that much level of input other than what what you uh, bring to the the screen. Um, so, well, uh, Matt, we have to take our first commercial break of the night. For you guys listening at Odyssey Radio, we'll be right back. We're talking with Matt Foreman. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. When we come back, I'm going to be talking with Matt a little bit about one of my favorites, a Battlestar Galactica, Blood and Chrome. We're also going to delve into Defiance a little bit and, of course, the Orville. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this quick message. Trek Talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And welcome back to Stunt Treks with Uncle Jim and D. Leslie Hoffman. We're talking with Matt Boardman, visual effects artist. Our phone number here, once again, is 646-668-2433. And Matt, um, back in 2004, the Sci-Fi Channel put out a a reimagined version of Battlestar Galactica. Um, They followed it up with a a movie called The Plan and a short-lived TV series called Caprica. And then they put out Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome. And Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome is the one that I happen to like the best that told the story about Commander Adama as a Viper pilot. Um, so if, would you talk a little bit about Battlestar Galactica, Blood and Chrome, and what what you did well, to make that begins, show come to life? Well, before we begin, oh, well, that um, was... could you explain rendering a film? Because I don't know if people think that you just press a button and it's done and over with. I don't think they realize that rendering a film could take hours. Well, that's exactly what we do. We just press a button and walk away, right? (laughs) 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 No. um, So when we use the phrase rendering, uh, that, that basically means that we have to go through and we, you know, we set up the scene, um, my one of my jobs was on on that particular series was we had our CG artists and they would do the animating and the the lighting and everything like that and then they would then pass that file off to us and we would go through and make sure that all of the models being used were the the approved models the latest version of that model um, we would then make sure that the lighting was correct that there weren't any errors in the and then um, we would separate it into passes. So it's, it's much like how they uh, would shoot practical models where you have, you know, when they would put it on a, uh, you know, a dolly track and um, they would, 
go through the same sort of pass just with, you know, they would do a, a key lighting pass where that, you know, if, say if we're talking about spaceships, you know, it would be a, uh, your sunlight. And then they would do what they call a fill light pass, which is a, a, a light that's not quite as, as bright, but comes from the opposite side, but, but fills up part of the model. And um, they would do, you know, a, a matte pass, which was, when they would they would turn off all the lights except for the backdrop so that they could then use that to optical print uh, the the model out from the background and put it behind a space background or whatever uh, or put it on top of a space background so um, but the process of rendering is is that once we have that all set up, then we have to tell the computer to write out each frame uh, individually and then um, so, so in a sense, yeah, you know, you press a button at that point and you kind of sit back. But uh, each scene can take um, it can take minutes to do, it can take hours to do, depending on how complex the the scene is. Whether there's a lot of reflections, um, you know, machines have gotten faster, uh, processes have gotten faster. So, uh, but you know, things like reflections back then they were they would up your render times and you know you could you could go anywhere from 30 seconds a frame to 20 minutes a frame to an hour a frame just depending on on what the uh, the complexity of the shot was and so that's where the benefit of having a a render farm comes in meaning you have multiple machines that their whole purpose is to just take a frame and and write it out and, and create that file to be used. So I don't know if that, I don't know if that sounds more confusing or if that helps explain it. <laughs> well, I just wanted to point out, like I say, is that when someone says, oh, I rendered, the, you know, I'm rendering the film or I rendered a film, as you just said, maybe it takes a second, but then, then again, it could take hours to do, to do what you need to oh, do. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember reading in a magazine back around the time that, uh, you know, Star Wars Episode Three came out, and, and I forget exactly who it was. Maybe it was Rick McCollum who was saying was talking about the visual effects in uh, in the uh, in, in that particular movie, and and you know he mentioned that had they had rendered out those. Uh, you know, that opening sequence where you're over a course not there and the, you know the battle and everything had they rendered that had somebody at home rendered that out by themselves it would have taken months if not maybe a year or a year I, it would have taken a really 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 long time for somebody to do on a single computer because um, I mean if you think about it if you have if you have 10 frames that you want or if you have 100 frames that you're rendering out and each one takes 10 minutes to render i mean that's that's a fair amount of time to uh to to render that out i mean it all adds up and um you know you find ways to make things render faster to to shorten that uh that time and still retain good quality um, because obviously the lower you set your settings, the you also lower you risk lowering the quality of what you're working on, um, or what you're you know the image that that you're producing. Um, so, but uh, yeah, it, it definitely 
can be a lengthy process and and that's that's why sometimes when you watch uh, a show or a movie you might catch some visual effects that aren't quite up to the same look feel standard you know polish as some of the others and and typically what happens there is that a request for a change is made last minute before delivery and there's just not enough time to render out you know to, to have the computers write out those files and have somebody combine them all back together and make it look nice and, and integrated uh, before the deadline right before we run out of time I mean we're halfway through or more than halfway through um, personally I'm I'm I'd love to hear what you did with uh, next generation well that was actually that was a, a, a that was actually a really, really fun experience for me because, I mean, I grew up uh, watching The Next Generation. I, you know, I, I mean, my first my first introduction to, to Star Trek was uh, the animated series back in the 80s when they would they would play the reruns on Nickelodeon. And I don't think I was, you know, back then, I don't think I was really aware of what I was watching. Um, you know, just that I thought that it was neat. And then um, I remember probably was 87 when the first season of, of Next Gen was airing. They, uh, I happened to be down at my grandparents' house, and, and my uncle, who's only a few years older than me, happened to be watching Star Trek. And it was uh, the episode Skin of Evil, which is, you know, the, the episode where Tasha Yar dies. And that, that was my first uh, Next Generation episode. And then, I mean, again, I had no idea what this show was, but then my – uh, we went on a, a skiing trip with uh, Cub Scouts uh, later that year, and we were staying at uh, our, our, our Cub Master's house uh, that he grew up in, and, and they happened to have Star Trek on, and it was uh, the, the episode, the con- I guess, I don't know if you want to call it controversial episode, but it's the episode where uh, they, they they blow up the guy's head, you know, and and just thinking how cool that was and and but then I didn't come back to it until a, a few years later when they were about in their the end of the fourth season fifth season but but to me next generation has always been kind of that like warm blanket you know it was one of those things that when I was sick I mean I don't I'm sure you guys remember Columbia House and and when they they started doing their uh next generation uh videos they you know they you get a you get a new uh, videotape every what was it six to eight weeks and it had two episodes on it and um, when I was in high school and I was sick I would uh, <laughs> my parents would put their VCR uh, TV VCR combo down in my room and I would watch these episodes over and over and and so getting the chance to work on this was a dream come true I mean uh, getting a chance to see uh, the dailies um, and for those who aren't familiar with dailies that's that's the stuff that was filmed on a particular day uh, that then goes to editorial, and then they then they they pick and choose from those things that were filmed to combine into what ends up being the final episode. But the chance to see some of that and to see some of the bloopers and and 
and stuff like that was was great. I actually at one point had an opportunity. There, there's an episode in the second season called A Matter of Honor, and uh, they reused footage of the Klingon bird of prey from Star Trek three. And so I got to go into a booth and we were reviewing uh, these visual effects shots from Star Trek three of, of, of bird of prey trying to find this particular one that was used in the episode. And so that was, that was a lot of fun, but I don't know, to me it was kind of like, it was a dream come true. It was my, second job out in uh out in Los Angeles that I that I had the opportunity to work on and I, you know at one point I'm sitting there and I'm looking and I, here's Doug Drexler who you know obviously has a, a very long uh Star Trek history um sitting there with Doug Drexler uh a gentleman by the name of David Takamura who was uh, who started off on the next generation as I think he was a. He started off as a page on it, and then eventually worked his way up to being a visual effects coordinator um, on Deep Space Nine. And so I'm sitting there with him, and then Mike and Denise Denise Okuda come in, and then there's Dan Curry. So there's you know I'm, I'm you know as a fan I'm sitting there and I'm going oh my gosh these are all the people that helped make Star Trek Star Trek you know. And, uh, that was a lot of fun. Oh, you're working with the cream of the crop. I mean, you just need yes, exactly. I mean, oh yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's so so interesting when you start working with people whose names you've seen in the credits of shows that you that you've enjoyed. You know, and it's just uh, yeah. You know, it's just I don't know. You just feel very blessed. You feel very fortunate to to have that experience, um, and 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 to be able to work on something that you know, is important and, and has been near and dear to your heart for most of your life uh, makes it even that much more special. And Matt, uh, if somebody but, was interested in, in, in getting into that, how how would you recommend they go about getting into that? Well, I mean, for myself, I... You know how I got into this. I um, I used to play this. I, I know I'm going to totally call myself out here on on how big of a nerd I am, but uh, I used to back in in high school. I, I started playing this uh, Star Trek play by email game, and in this game, you know, the way that it worked is you created a character, and they had this. And it was back in the days of AOL. Um, and they had the, these forums and, and websites that you could go and you could join a crew of a ship. And it was, it was basically a bunch of people who got together to um, play this game. You created a character and you wrote from your character's perspective through email and, and contributed to the overall story. And as time went on, like I kind of, you know, I started my own ship. I was given that opportunity and we would build our own websites and I would start, I don't know, I just, it was one of those things that it just made sense to my brain. Like, I just had a lot of fun putting together these images as, like, episode titles. Um, and and then somebody said, well, you know, I, I, I see you like this stuff, so why don't you try this out? You might really like it. And what they, they had, they sent me a copy of a program called 3D Studio Max 4. 
And suddenly that just opened up a whole new world for me. It was like, you know, there were all these different digital models that I could download online, and I was taking them and positioning them in to make uh, to make these images and learning how to light them. And I and I just I liked it so much that I was like, you know what, I really want to learn how to do this. And so I I bought a newer version of the program and a book, and I taught myself how to learn it. And uh, from there, I. I, I, in a way, I kind of lucked into this because when I set out, I didn't really intend to be a visual effects artist. You know, I'd seen the, the Pixar movies, and I thought, well, you know, that would be really cool to be a be an animator on a Pixar feature. And so I kind of thought maybe that's what I was initially going to do. And so I went to school for four years um, and got a degree in media arts and animation, and and then. You know, it's funny because I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do after that. But I would say, for anybody looking to like get into this, the the best thing to do is is and this is what ended up happening to me is that you engage with people who who do that as, for a living. Um, a lot of a lot of well, I would say all of the jobs that I've gotten out here since I've come to Hollywood have been through word of mouth and uh, showing people my my work and interacting with people so that. You know, they're like, well, hey, we need somebody to do this. Would you be interested? And so, I would say that if that if you want to to get into the you know into a visual effects field, you don't necessarily have to go to school because I've worked with a lot of people who who didn't go to school for this. But um, I would just say, put yourself out there, put your artwork out there, participate in in group, get to know people who are who are doing this sort of thing. I mean, the the way that I ended up getting an invite an invitation to work on blood and chrome which was my first uh my first production out in hollywood was that uh doug drexler had started a blog and at the time i didn't have anybody that i was you know in immediate contact with who who did visual effects and so i would i would start showing people my cg work and they would be kind of like yeah all right you know it looks okay whatever i don't understand it but that's cool um, and so I didn't, I wasn't aware of the forums and, and stuff like that to, uh, of, of people online that were, were doing these kinds of things. And so when Doug's blog came along, I just reached out to him and I said, Hey Doug, how, how does somebody get in contact with you outside of your blog? And within five minutes he had emailed me and said, Hey Matt, Doug Drexler, what can I do for you? And so I just said, Hey, look, I, I don't have anybody to talk to about CG or anything like that. And I'm just wondering, can I send a few things to you? And I mean, I don't expect you to tell me how to do them, but maybe just kind of point me in a direction so that I can figure them out. And so that as, as time went on, like he would write stories on his blog and I would, it, it would inspire me to create something and I would send it to him and he'd end up posting it on his blog or, you know, using something on his blog and, and so at the time that they started doing Blood and Chrome, when they first got started, they, they needed a render assistant. And he sent me an email saying, hey, we're in need of a render assistant. Would you be interested in, in coming up to Los Angeles? You know, at the time I was living in Michigan. So that, that was a pretty big jump. And, uh, you know, uh, but I would just say, yeah, put yourself out there. Put your artwork out there. Um, never settle 
Never think that your stuff is so good that, that there's never room for improvement. Um, be willing to accept critiques of your work um, and understand that, you know, the difference between a genuine critique and somebody's opinion um, and, and be an active participant with, with people who do this stuff for a living because you never know when they will, uh, you know, you get that opportunity that they'll invite you to do something. And the other thing I would say is don't be afraid to take a risk. Um, don't be afraid to, to, to take that jump or that leap when the opportunity is, is given to you because I've, I've seen a lot of talented people who I think would do very well in as, as a visual effects artist professionally, but they don't because they're they're afraid because they're established in where they're at and, and and stuff like that and 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 I can't blame them because you know I'm I'm a freelance artist and there definitely has not been a whole lot of job security in that sense because you go from project to project and and you can have gaps between projects unless you happen to work for one of the uh, the visual effects houses out here, and, and then it's more like a nine-to-five job. Um, but yeah, just don't be afraid to take those risks. Wow, that's that's good advice. Very good advice. Uh, I, I just wanted to ask you, what can you tell us about Top Gun Maverick, if anything at all? What kind of stuff are you working? What kind Not of stuff are you working other on? Than it is fantastic. <laughs> Not a whole lot other than that. It is a fantastic movie. I'm so I'm so bummed that they've moved it back to November. I was uh, I was really hoping that we were going to be in a place that we could um, that we could sh- you know everybody was going to get to see it on July 2nd this year after after it got pushed back uh, already a couple times. Um, I that what a wonderful experience that was. Like I, when I came out here, when I started on Blood and Chrome, I got to work with the wonderful Gary Hutzel, um, who was a visual effects supervisor on Star Trek: Next Generation, uh, and then Deep Space Nine, and then went on to be the visual effects supervisor for uh, Battlestar Galactica, or the reimagined Battlestar Galactica and then Blood and Chrome um, and then all those other series in between there. And uh, Gary was fantastic and I I miss him dearly. I'm so sad that he's no longer with us because uh, Gary liked to to push the envelope and things and and he was really big on the in-house team and and selling us as a a package deal on how to get good visual effects for a fraction of the budget that I think they spend a lot of times on some of these things. Um, and so one of the things that, that was great about that, and I think I got a little spoiled, is that we were a big part of the process of, of making Blood and Chrome happen. You know, when I came out, uh, or when the first time I saw a rough cut of the movie, I mean, it was all filmed in front of green screen. Every every part of that was filmed on the same sound stage, and I think I counted it. I think we go to like eleven or twelve different environments, um, all filmed on the same same sound stage, and uh, I had a hard time like 
I don't know, this doesn't make sense because you couldn't see, there was no backgrounds. It was all green screen. You know, it was the acting and then and then green screen. I mean, this was the first time I'm like, I don't really quite comprehend what's going on. But little by little, as 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 production went on or post-production went on, as we started filling things in, I was like, oh, wow, this is really neat how this works. And so, and it was the same thing on Defiance. You know, we got to be an integral part of that process of, of developing what the world of Defiance looked. I mean, we were doing, as they call it, world building. And so other productions that I've gone on, when you work at a, a regular visual effects house, you're just a small part in that process, um, you know, that you, you do your portion of the work, you turn it over, and then, and then it's on to the next project, which that, there's nothing wrong with it. That's, that's great, but it's not quite the same as feeling like you're that integral part that, uh, of, of the production process like I had on Blood and Chrome and, and Defiance. And so on top of the Maverick, uh, I had the, the honor to work with a couple of, of guys, you know, fantastically very talented guys who have, who have done, uh, have had many years of experience uh, doing visual effects. And we did uh, the previs, which, uh, which is short for pre-visualization, meaning that we, we went in and digitally kind of plotted out what it was, it was basically a digital storyboard, an animatic of what the jets would do. Um, and, and it was great because we got to work with the director um, and, and what he wanted. We got to show him some ideas. Oh, and, you know, it was, it was this great collaborative effort. You know, he would tell us what he wanted. And, you know, he'd come in and he'd watch and see what we did. He'd give us feedback and we'd make those changes and then suggest a few things here and there. So, and then they went up and they actually shot this, the the stuff that we, you know, most of the stuff that we had done, they they actually shot that with real jets and that was, you know, and and so to come back and then we did what we call post-visualization. That process is, that's where they filmed everything they need to film, um, and they're, now they're assembling the film and putting it together to, you know, working towards what it will look like in its final, uh, the final version of it. And they, in that process, need some, need to add some additional things that the, the uh, visual effects company that's been hired to do the final visual effects will be doing. And so we kind of filled in, we helped fill in the gaps there. Um, but it was great because, you know, Again, you're part of that whole that whole process, and you you feel like you're part of that creative process, and that's that's one of the things that I I really really found that I've enjoyed through all of this is like seeing how everything comes together from from pre-production to actual production to seeing how how each individual department works and and how everybody kind of comes together as a team to make these uh these films possible and i i don't know i mean i the top end maverick was my first uh feature film that i worked on i'm now actually working on another feature film with the same director for for netflix and uh just really enjoy you know joe as a director you know I, he's done other films like uh tron legacy uh, oblivion only the brave so he's done some some really great projects and and just you kind of see and you get the, that little bit of a, a window into their thought process and how they go about filmmaking and everything. 
and then to watch the parts come together that eventually make that final film. And I, for me, that's, that's fantastic. And that's fun. And it's, you know, it's, it's sure for me, it'd be sitting in a cubicle every day, um, you know, doing, doing something else. Uh, and, and, and makes those moments where, you know, you're, you're in between jobs. It makes things get a little scary. It makes those times worth it. Uh, but for, yeah, on Top Gun Maverick, that just, that was such a fun experience. I mean, I, <laughs> I look back at that, and, and I, that was basically two years of my life working on that, uh, that film and getting to see it in different iterations and uh, um, to see that process was really fantastic. So I'm excited for everybody to see it when we finally get to see it. Hopefully November will hold and and uh you know we'll be through enough of the pandemic that people will feel comfortable in the theater so that so that everybody else can share in uh, this wonderful film that uh, that's been put together. Well, Matt, believe it or not, we are out of time. Um I wanna say thank you so much for spending some time with us and talking with us about all the fabulous projects that you've worked on. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Oh, I haven't heard, I haven't spoken to you in, I don't know, how many years now, but it, yeah, it's been a while. Every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. So you're welcome. Well, we'll thank have you for having you, me on. Uh, it's been fun. We'll have to have you back. We, have, we, we didn't really get to touch on the Orville all that much, and there's some other things that we can talk about. But uh, so if you're available, maybe we'll have you back on at a future date when maybe when Top Gun Maverick comes out. Oh sure, yeah, you know me. I'm always I'm always happy to talk about uh, things. So <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us tonight, Matt. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Have a good night or good afternoon. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. And of course. Leslie, you know, it was great that you uh, were able to put us in touch with Matt and make that happen. And, of course, we couldn't do stunt tracks without the Leslie Hoffman. So thank you for hanging out with us tonight, Leslie. Oh, it, it was always fun. And, and again, uh, Matt has such an unusual job that that people don't even realize exists. And without Matt... You wouldn't you wouldn't have the Star Trek episodes or the Orville episodes. I mean, it, it, you would have <laughs> how do I say it? You'd have holes missing, or you'd have the green screen and nothing <laughs> behind the actors. <laughs> As he and said, it takes a team. There is one thing I have to say tonight before we leave, Leslie, because we never do a show without talking about it, and that is Planet of the Apes. There we go. <laughs> I know. Well, Matt, Matt's going to have to, if they ever do another Planet of the Apes, Matt has to get a job on Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you can only go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stump Treks, on behalf of Stump Treks, I'm your Uncle Jim saying good night. Thank you for listening to us. We really appreciate you hanging out with us. And you can check me out on Thursday night on Trek Talking and Beyond with my Trek experts. We're going to be talking about Star Trek, Next Generation, the pilot episode in Connor Farpoint, and all good things. And with Don Delancey making an appearance on Star Trek Picard Season 2, it's a great time to revisit those episodes. So check us out Thursday night at 730, same bat time, 
same bat channel. And please head on over to the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization Facebook page. If you want to be here for a future show or you just want to say hello, head on over there and say hello to Leslie. She'd love to hear from you. So once again, thanks for joining us tonight. Stay safe, everybody. Be good to each other. We'll see you next week. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Good night. Let's see what's out there. Engage. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.